This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. AM 950, KOEL. This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. What's up, Cedar Valley, and hello to the Hawkeye State. This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show here on, well, just on YouTube and any podcasting platform you should choose to listen to because we're getting you a bonus podcast episode during the week now. Wednesdays, we will have a podcast ready and available for you on top of our regularly scheduled 9 to 10 a.m. show on AM950KOEL and KOEL.com. You can follow along on all of those podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, etc., where you should subscribe, leave a rate and review. And you can, of course, follow me on Twitter. It's at Elliot Clough there. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media. And we got great stuff on this first Wednesday edition of Coins stocks and sports talk today Sean Bach he's going to be joining me to break down dual threat quarterback James Reeser his decision to commit to Iowa as a member of the 2024 class the Bob Stoops and Fran McCaffrey videos that came out regarding Brian Ferentz those are cameos of course and uh, the Hawkeye offense being absolutely atrocious so it's going to be a good episode today stick around for that Hawkeye fans especially but first we've got to talk about the state of the Northern Iowa Panthers defense. And not only do that, but we've got to reflect on that North Dakota game, especially before we preview UNI versus Sacramento State at home. That'll that that interview, that preview will be with Cam Salerno of the Sacramento Bee on Saturday. So make sure to come back to us on Saturday to get that preview before the game at 4 p.m. in the dome. So, as you and I fans know, there's typically been a production discrepancy between the offense and the defense in Cedar Falls, at least under head coach Mark Farley. You know, other than those Eric Sanders years, 2005, 2007, where the team went to the national title and Sanders was just freaking unbelievable over that time span. Uh, But... As to why that is, generally speaking, over these last 22 years with Coach Farley, I want to say it's to do with the fact that Coach Farley's defenses are regularly phenomenal, phenomenal rather, and the offenses just can't keep up no matter how much talent was there. I mean, last season, Sean Watson and the season before that, Sean Watson came in and Ooh, did not make the offense better prior to that. Uh, oh, gosh, that guy that went on to be with the uh, the Packers had some NFL time as well as a player. Ryan Mahaffey, Ryan Mahaffey, that's who it is. Uh, he uh, went on to to take a position with the Packers. I, I, I'm pretty sure he had a t- some time in the NFL as a player. That might be wrong. But anyway, to move ahead and, and continue to talk about the situation at hand, Coach Mark Farley puts together championships defenses almost every year. 
And this season, the the script appears to have flipped. Now with Bodie Reader and Ryan Clanton at the helm of the offense, it appears to be flowing well other than in the red zone, which we'll talk about in a few moments here. But the defense is struggling to start the season. If that hasn't been made clear over these first two games where they allowed 48 points to Air Force, which to a degree, understand it. Yeah, that's one of the most disciplined teams you and I has probably ever faced. And that triple option, you never know what you're going to get that they just ran all over you and I, to be frank. And then allowed 29 points to North Dakota, who I think is overrated and just took advantage of a UNI team that hasn't quite gotten its mojo together yet. I think Tommy Schuster is just not that that good. He's not going to beat you with his legs. He's not going to beat you with his arms. It's all head stuff. He's been a starter for three years. He doesn't impress me, and I think Theo Day is drastically better than Tommy Schuster. Not just a little bit, like like a lot of it, like way better than, than Tommy Schuster. So I don't really give North Dakota credit for winning that football game. Honestly, I think you and I just kind of beat themselves, to be frank. And we'll, we'll move forward on this here, but Coach Farley's defenses have been good. That's been established. More recently, they've been good with the help of Jeremiah Johnson, who had been with the team for 10-plus years. He's now gone. He left for Kent State to be their D.C., and he took Keelan Brookings with him to be their defensive backs coach. And J.J. was pivotal to what you and I did over the last few years. I mean, this guy was liked by the players. Coach Mark Farley trusted him. They were able to just go through things because everything was set. He he has to take time and, and work through and process and communicate some things that he didn't have to before with Jeremiah Johnson at the helm of the defense, along with the help of, of course, of, of Coach Farley. And now comes in Randall McRae at defensive coordinator and as the defensive backs coach, along with the help of Benny Sab, uh, yes, Benny Sab Jr., rather. And uh, that appears to be the weakness, not only just the defense, but the defensive backs, which should have been a drastic strength for the Panthers at this point in the season. And when I say the defensive backs, I mean in terms of containing the outside of the defense, in terms of coverage, because some of these guys that Schuster found after running around a little bit and and not being able to be sacked by the uh, the, the defensive backs, it's he's just finding wide open receivers and, and tight ends and running backs, whatever, out and available to pass to. These guys are wide open. And it's it's... And I'd have to get a better look at film, and I'm going to do that here before the game on Saturday. But what it appears to me in regards to that difference is they're just trying to figure it out right now. And yes, they still have the UNI defense, but Randall McCray has his hands in it. It's not like he's just watching Coach Mark Farley do everything. It's not like he's just watching Coach Benny, Benny Sab Jr. coach these guys uh, in the defensive backfield. He's got his hands on it. And, and you know... The mix-up has something to do with what's going on. This is not a, hey, Randall McCray, everything's your fault. It's it's the transition. This can't be easy, right? Especially with Jeremiah Johnson having been around for so long and having done such a phenomenal job at the defensive coordinator position for the Panthers. He's a guy that Coach Mark Farley knew. He's a guy that the players knew. And, and to make this transition to Randall McCray, it can't be easy. Because, like, I mean, on paper, McCray has all of 
the 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 experience and the pedigree to be a legit defensive coordinator in the FCS. He spent time in the NFL with the Arizona Cardinals and in, in the FBS with Clemson, Wisconsin, Pitt, South Carolina. He's been so many different places and had success. So he has the pedigree. He has the the the, the resume to have earned this position. Now it's just time to get some of that stuff figured out. Whether or not Jeremiah Johnson being gone has completely pulled out the rug from the UNI defense, that's up for debate. I don't think so. Jeremiah Johnson, a phenomenal coach, done so much in UNI, at UNI in Cedar Falls with the Panthers. But McCray, you have to give him some time. You know, you got to give him some time to really work through things and figure stuff out as they transition to having him head up the defense along with with Coach Mark Farley. But there's got to be there's got to be something to that, right? That you can't just transition, have the defense, you know, sort of not not fall off, but but sputter as uh, to, to Coach Mark Farley, uh, to quote Mark, Coach Mark Farley rather, and uh, and have things not be affected by that change in defensive coordinator. But I think there's something else to it, and I think Coach Farley addressed it, and I'm hoping he's right. I, I I don't I don't know to be frank. I'm hoping he's right, and it's a it's a positive spin on it. But I'm not sure what we're gonna see this weekend against Sacramento State, and I'll tell you why. What Coach Mark Farley said, and and the spin that he put on it is that there's difficulties between playing Air Force Week One when they didn't when you and I's defense really didn't have to play pass coverage. I mean, really like. <laughs> Air Force ran the ball 62 times. I think I've addressed that on, on corn stocks here a few times, but they ran the ball 62 times. Like, really, you don't really have to play pass coverage. So I get that. You're loading the box. You're really trying to stop the run and contain on the outside while also getting push in the middle. So Coach Mark Farley said that making that transition to really just focusing on that for a lot of camp, trying to simulate it in practice, and then flipping to a normal offense isn't exactly the easiest thing in the world. It's not easy to make that transition back to defending normal offenses as opposed to the triple option. To which I say fair enough, right? I mean, I mean, 62 times is a lot of times to run the football and, and to cover a unique offense like the triple option. And then you flip over to North Dakota who has Tyler Hoosman, who runs the ball a little bit with him to try to punch you in the mouth. And then they got speed with Isaiah Smith, I think his name was. And then they've got a connection with their quarterback who's been around for three years. And that Bo kid who was a receiver caught a bunch of passes. Um, and so it's a balanced attack for North Dakota as opposed to Air Force who ran the living hell out of the ball. And I again, I, I hope that that assessment by Coach Mark Farley is correct and they get the coverage stuff figured out this week in practice. But at the same time, one way to interpret that is, okay, we couldn't stop Air Force from them doing what they wanted against our defense, but then we couldn't stop an average offense with an average quarterback. I mean, I, I'm staying on my word that Tommy Schuster does not impress me in the slightest. And his ability to just shred the UNI defense shouldn't be that way. I mean, with Spencer Cuvalier, Bryce Flater, Christian Boyd, Devin Rice, Caden Hotelling, Benny Sapp III, Corby Sanders, Stefan Black II, Wu Governor, Javon Brecky, you've heard me list these names 
so many times and and referenced the fact that you and I's defense is going to be among the best in the con- in the country rather and it's just it hasn't materialized yet. And these players, these players definitely know that. Coach Mark Farley definitely knows that. Randall McCray definitely knows that. Something's up with the defense and needs to get fixed. That's, you know, I, I can only offer so much analysis off two games, right? Coach Mark Farley also agreed and, and said that it was technique and that it was the, the little things that UNI defense usually does that they haven't done over these last few games. And... The reason I'm so nervous going into this game against Sacramento State, which again, we'll preview on on Saturday on Cornstalks and Sports Talk with Cam Salerno. That show will be on from 9 to 10, as always, on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. Of course, the podcast will be posted Saturday as well, but it makes me nervous because Sacramento State can do so many different things offensively. They throw the ball a ton with two different quarterbacks, and then they pop you in the mouth of the run every so often. Coach Mark Farley said it on uh, Panther Point of View podcast this week that they can just put up 60 points whenever they want to, and that is not the thing you wanted to hear <laughs> going into a weekend where you're playing uh, uh, your your third game in, in three weeks, obviously, and, and you're having struggles defensively. So their their defense does not impress me really at all. I, I'm not worried about the UNI offense scoring. I'm not worried about uh, getting what they want against the, the defense for Sacramento. But it reminds me of, I think it was the 70s or 80s Chargers with Dan Fouts where they can score 56 points, but their defense allows 58. You know, I'm, I, that's what worries me. That's what worries me about this uh, this team this year. And I don't think that's going to continue to happen. I don't. Coach Mark Farley said they're going to fix it. And if anything, I think with the leadership of a guy like Benny Sapp, of a leadership with a guy like Corby Sander and, and Spencer and and some of these guys who have been around for a while, Bryce Flater, Wu has really stepped up. Wu Governor has really stepped up in terms of being vocal this season. I do think it's going to get figured out. Like I, I don't think they're just going to be porous all season long and allow a bunch of big runs and big plays like they have these first two first two games. I don't think that's going to happen. But it needs to get figured out quick because you can't enter MVFC play 0-3. And that's the part that makes me the most nervous. They're playing the number eight team in the country this week. Number eight, Sacramento State, number eight. They can pass the crap out of the ball. They just beat the living hell out of Utah Tech last week. Utah Tech's not a good football team, so take what you will from that. But they're the Big Sky Conference champions. They beat Montana last year. Montana's freaking good. They are freaking good. So that's what worries me uh, about playing Sacramento State this weekend. And then... There are still issues with the UNI offense, man. It's it's not all figured out, right? I, I tweeted about it during the game. I said, man, I hope Coach Bodie Reader and, and Coach Clanton really work on really work on the red zone offense because you can't come away with missed field goals or well, one missed field goal after after uh, after Theo got sacked in that game on Saturday when it pushed him into 47-yard field goal. It was a 47-yard field goal. Matthew Cook mixed, missed it. Had he made it, you and I, I'm not saying they would have won for sure just based on how things shook out after that, but they they would have had a, had a better chance. And they scored, made two field goals when they went into the red zone in the first, one in the first half, one early in the second. And if those are touchdowns, you and I walks away with a victory, right? 
Dom Williams had two runs for over 40 yards and two touchdowns. Deion McShane had over 100 receiving yards and a 72-yard bomb that he caught for a touchdown, and you and I lost. If they convert those two field goals into touchdowns, things are very different. Things are very, very different. Things like this happened last year. I don't know if you remember that Southern Illinois game in the Dome when the Salukis came in number three. I believe it was Devin Rice had a strip sack and Caden Hotelling recovered the ball on the 10-yard line and you and I came away with a field goal. You can't do that and regularly win in the Missouri Valley Football Conference. You can't. It, It can't happen. It's not, it can't happen, and it's not going to happen if they continue to play red zone, play, play like this in the red zone. you got to convert. you got to finish. Coach Farley said it's about personnel, it's about play calling, and it's about execution. And I didn't know what to take from that in, the, in, that, in that press conference. I think it's, it's something they've got to figure out in, in practice, obviously, and... Um, I, I, to put that on play calling and execution, it's just, it's easy, right? It's an, it's an easy thing to point to. And yeah, no, he's right. Like he may be right. And, and I think Bodie reader and Ryan Clanton are going to figure stuff like that out too. But it does, again, it does, it does make me nervous going into this game where you have to score points. And when you're playing the MVFC where you have to score points uh, against some of these defenses that are among the best in the country, UNI still has to play South Dakota State. They still have to play Missouri State. They still have to play South Dakota, who they lost to last year. They still have to play Southern Illinois. You can't you can't enter MVFC play play zero and three and and expect to to figure it out as you, as you go forward. Uh, you know, luckily UNI plays Western Illinois two weeks from now. Not this coming, I guess, not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday, and that's a day where you can really get stuff figured out because Western Illinois sucks they're so bad they're awful so here's hoping you and i figures it out before then again we're talking with cam salerno on saturday to preview this game coming up this weekend at 4 p.m in the dome i'm gonna be there gonna be excited to cover it no matter what happens but uh anywho hot guy fans iowa football fans football fans in the state of iowa stick around we're talking with sean bach from hawkeye insider and 24 7 sports.com he's going to tell us a little bit about his thoughts with what happened with bob Stutes and fran mccaffrey regarding brian ferentz that new committed quarterback and more so stay right here more corn stocks and sports talk coming at you in just one moment We're back for this second segment here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk, hosted by me, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, UNI Insider for Town Square Media. So just a few things going on in the Iowa Hawkeye football world right now with uh, recruiting social media disasters and, uh, well, the the offense. So on to talk with us now is Sean Bach of Hawkeye Insider with 24-7 Sports. He's their recruiting specialist while also covering basketball and football. Sean Let's start with the positive. Uh, it was it was a rough weekend weekend for Hawkeye fans, and it's kind of taken into this week too. But Sunday, twenty twenty four, four star quarterback, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, native James Ray Sorry commits to the Hawkeyes. What can you tell us about him and, and what he'll bring to Iowa City? Yeah, that was definitely a nice win for Iowa, considering what the offense showed on Saturday against Iowa State, and um, you know, kind of. A surprise, too. I mean, to some, it was, I think, to Reeser, it was more of a, 
I'm going to end up coming to Iowa. It's just a matter of when. And I think the timing of it was more interesting because of how Iowa's offense looked on Saturday. And some people were like, okay, like what, why, like, would you do this now? Like, it doesn't make much sense, but Reeser thought to himself, Hey, like, I know the offense didn't look good today, but I have faith in Brian Ferentz. And that's not something that a lot of Iowa fans um, <laughs> can back <laughs> up at this point, but Reeser was the one to make the call and, Iowa's been trending in a really positive direction for the last couple months with him. It it kind of seemed like a foreign conclusion that he was going to commit to Iowa, or at least Iowa would be at the top of his list. But it was more of a, okay, this kid is going to blow up eventually because he runs a 10-8-6, 100-meter dash. And I think he recorded a 4.45 uh, timed or stopwatch time um, at – uh, one of the Wisconsin or Notre Dame camps this year. I know he ran a four five four five three laser this summer at one of the camps too. So the speed is there. The straight line speed is there. The track numbers are there. You look at him on film. He can uh, he can run pretty well. He can obviously throw. He's got some good touch on his uh, on his passes. Can really hit it with the intermediate routes too. Hit a couple short routes. Um, and just seems to have really good touch on what on his throws and can really make certain plays that you need in the quarterback and. It, it really seems to be the trend of what Iowa is looking for in a wide receiver. I mean, a quarterback, sorry, <laughs> with the way that things are going now. I mean, you look at the 2021 class, they had Markle or they had Joey Labus, who is considered more of a dual threat quarterback. Uh, 2022, they had Carson May, who is more of a bigger body quarterback, but can move a bit as well. 2023, Marco Linez, who is a is a pocket passer but can use his feet really well it also had like a 75 yard touchdown run this weekend um in the hun school's win so breezer kind of fits that mold from iowa from a size perspective i think he'll fit really well into what iowa wants to do but i'm also curious to see how much of iowa's system maybe changes or at least is you know moved around or kind of just hindered a little bit or just changed up a little bit. I'm, I'm not going to say it's going to change a ton, but I also think the personnel, I think, will work more in favor of what Iowa needs to do to really re-energize this offense and, you know, get kind of more modern because I know what the fairness is. A lot of people are going to say that, you know, they're, they're never going to change, and maybe that's the case. But I think with this personnel and with the way the offense has looked the last two weeks, I, I don't know how you not – look at it and say, okay, we need to change something. And they've done that in the past couple cycles with the type of quarterbacks they recruit. So good on them for that. We'll see if it comes to fruition. But Reeser, I mean, is definitely considering the the circumstances of Saturday and the performance he saw. Um, it's really a really a big surprise or not a huge surprise, but really just a, a fortunate thing for the Iowa program. It's something they really needed. So you mentioned the the speed, some of the things he'll bring to, to the Hawkeye program, and I want to I want to talk a little bit more about that in a second here. But what about the choice? How how much did you know about his decision to commit to Iowa and, and commit at the beginning of his junior year rather than after his junior season, like a lot of these guys do? Right. Yeah. He was. I know Iowa was really trending towards the top. I considered a crystal ball pick for a while, and I think it's one of those things with recruiting too, where you have to track the visits. That's a really important thing because with these types of recruits, I mean, a guy from Florida, 
he's not taking any game day visits in the fall besides going to Iowa. I asked him a couple times, like, hey, you got anything else set up besides Iowa? He goes, no, that's the only one I've set up right now, and I'm not sure if I'm going to get to any others. So that was kind of a idea of, okay, maybe maybe this is where things are going to be going. Because Reeser, I mean, he's the type of kind of low low uh, maintenance uh, type of guy. He's, he's not really, you know, one of the, those big-time social media people for a four-star quarterback. Um, so I think Iowa fit him in that perspective, but it was interesting too, because he had a bunch of schools reach out to him. When you're six, four, 200 pounds, it can run a four, 4.4, 4. 4.5, 40 yard dash. You're going to have a lot of schools coming your way in due time. If you put the film, the right film on. And with Reeser, he had, I know Liberty was coming after him hard. I mean, they've had a couple of really impressive quarterbacks over the last few years and will continue to have some. Clemson reached out a few times. They were showing a lot of interest. Mississippi State, Wisconsin, Florida State, those were some of the five schools that really have shown a lot of interest as of late. But, you know, he kind of felt that Iowa was the right pick for him. And one thing I didn't mention either, Reeser, I mean, had he been full, if if he has a fully healthy season this year and shows what he can do on film, like he would have had probably 10 or 15 more offers. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize too is he played on a broken fibula. I believe last year, um, for about seven, he had like 23 touchdowns to like six interceptions or something along those lines. And granted, it's not the top competition in the state of Florida, but anytime you're playing that talent, like there's talent that they play throughout the year. But anytime you lead your team to the playoffs and you're playing on a broken tibula or fibula and don't even realize it, and you put up the numbers that he put up and, it, and are able to run with the way that he's able to run, I mean, that's something that you kind of got to open your eyes about and be like, okay, like this kid, not only is he talented, but he's a gamer. And I think that's what Iowa really needs for this for this type of offense and for them to really, you know, get that next level of potentially. And so looking forward to when he eventually does become a Hawkeye in the next two years, uh, I know some of the thoughts that you mentioned, some of the fan reaction. One tweet I saw, I thought encapsulated it just about perfectly. It said, giving Kirk Ferentz a dual-threat quarterback is like giving an AR-15 to a trout. <laughs> Thoughts there? Yeah, that was pretty funny. I, <laughs> I saw that, too, and, and got a pretty good laugh out of it. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely going to be interesting what comes about with the quarterback room over the next few years, especially after Spencer Peters and Alex Padilla are gone because – that's a lot of – there's a lot of potential there with the four quarterbacks they'd have in the room at that point. What I mentioned before, Labis, May, Linez, and Reeser. So those are those are four guys that really have a lot of upside, in my opinion. And I think with Petrus, you could see it with the arm in high school and the way he was able to make some of those really impressive throws. But, you know, you – I think from a total athlete standpoint – the guys that they have coming in are the four guys behind Padilla and uh, Petrus. I think from a floor or from a ceiling standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, those guys have much higher ones in that regard. And I think that's kind of what Iowa is looking for. I mean, granted Hunter Deckers had a, has a really good arm and he displayed that throughout high school and throughout the last two years of high school, especially, but his mobility was really impressive on Saturday. I thought too. And, his, his ability to extend plays is really important, and I think that's what Iowa wants to have in this system. I mean, you look at Petrus, and whenever kind of the pocket collapses, it 
it just you don't you know it's gonna be a disaster in some in some way, whether that be a sack, whether that be you know a throw good when the pocket collapses on him, and with these types of guys. the ability to get outside the pocket and to really fill edge moves and, you know, not only get outside the pocket, but also make throws on, on the run. If the receivers are open, I think it can fit this Iowa system and really help them really help them uh, potentially get to that next step offensively. So we'll talk a little bit more about uh, that, that offense in just a moment here, but a couple of videos that popped up on Twitter last night, if you haven't seen them, uh, somebody do Bob Stoops and Fran McCaffrey into basically telling Brian Ferris to leave his job. Uh, obviously, the the way it was worded and, and phrased, it was, it was directed at him. Clearly, they didn't know it was to Brian, but uh, you told me you saw it last night. I, it made me laugh. Where are you at with it? Yeah, I actually saw it this morning. I went to I cashed early last night. I went to bed pretty early last night to wake up to, to go to the gym pretty early this morning. So. I didn't catch it till this morning and I saw like some people sent me, I got like four or five texts about it and a couple DMS about it. And people started a thread on our board that really took off pretty early in the, or pretty late in the night. So, and when I saw it too, I was kind of confused. I was like, are these real? Like, cause I know there's a couple of accounts on Iowa fan accounts that, you know, do the spoof stuff and do like the voiceover stuff and kind of automate it. So I thought that's what it was at first, but <laughs> just to I see my thing is you would think that some of those guys like Stoops and McCaffrey granted like they're told to be to do these things it's not them like making their own decision like but I mean the new Brian New England like family <laughs> business stuff like that just seemed like trigger words that those guys should have put up that. I mean <laughs> no no like it's not their call to like make this stuff and you know they have other people that tell them what to do and give them the uh stuff to do but yeah it was uh i thought it was pretty funny um i don't know if anyone's if anyone asked about it if anyone asked kirk about it today during availability they have some of the biggest balls i've ever <laughs> seen um but i mean then i saw another tweet too it's like try to explain cameo to kirk ferentz like imagine that and I was just sitting there like, I, I really hope no one asks him that question. I I really don't know. I think someone might, but I'm not. The reaction would be something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think to, to sort of segue into this, this talking about the offense here before we let you go. I mean, I just I really think it's time to take the hint, man. Like last season, there was a petition to get him out that that Hawkeye fans put together. I don't know how many uh, signatures, online signatures I got, but I, I'm I'm sure you saw that or, or you remember that. Um, yep. But I mean, like the highest Iowa's offense has been ranked under him was 88th. Uh, all I have to do is be average and who knows what this team could be. And I mean, like this is just regurgitating points that that we've both heard time and time again. But like some point you have to get the hint, right? Like nepotism can only take you so far. Yeah. And I think one of the things that Iowa always points to also when it comes to the offense last year is we won 10 games and I get that. We won 10 games in the regular season. And I understand you wouldn't have lost. You probably wouldn't have lost to Michigan. You would, you would have still lost to Michigan 
had you, you know, had a better offense because that Michigan team was probably one of the better teams that Jim Harbaugh's had there. Um, you probably win the Citrus Bowl, but and you go eleven and three on the year, and that's great, that's awesome. But yeah, I mean, there's other and and you feel good about Alex Padilla too for some for for reasons. I mean, his his mobility and like I like Ferentz has said so much in the past is we feel good about our two quarterbacks because they both won us games. And I understand, or we both, I wouldn't say they've won them games, but they've won games with them at quarterback. But it's like, yeah, you've won games with them at quarterback, but that's against Northwestern. You scored, I don't remember how many points they scored, but it wasn't much. The offense wasn't there. Minnesota, you had to, if it wasn't for Keegan Johnson in that game, you're not winning that. <laughs> um, Nebraska last year, Padilla started. Peters came in the second half. But those touchdowns were from special teams and defense. Like, I get it. You won with them. And Kirk Ferentz will, has forgotten more football and X's and O's and anything um, than I will ever know with it. And so do Iowa coaches. But it's just like, unless someone in the quarterback room has just regressed, unless Alex Padilla has just absolutely regressed, Joey Lavis, they don't feel as ready then why wouldn't you try something different? And then last year they were kind of forced to try something different because Petrus got hurt at the end of the Wisconsin game and couldn't really throw the football at all against Northwestern. So there's that. But it's like, man, like you rely so much on your defense, but if this continues, like you're probably going seven and five, six and six, and that might be putting it nicely. And this is a down year in the Big Ten West, too. I mean, you saw Wisconsin lost to Michigan State – or, I mean, Washington State, excuse me. You saw Nebraska being as bad as they are. Um, Purdue lost to Penn State, beat Indiana State big. I think there's some more question marks with that. Illinois, I saw something – I think former Illinois linebacker Jay Lehman said that on a podcast with our Illinois site that he believes that Illinois could win the Big Ten West. And, I mean, they've probably looked the most impressive – through two games in the West. And, I mean, Minnesota's up there, too. I think they're – I mean, right now it's those two. Um, but, man, it's like this is a year, if you're Iowa, where the Big Ten West is just a crapshoot. And this seems like the type of year where you can really take advantage of that with the talent and personnel that they come back. Granted, you know, the offensive line hasn't been that great. I think with Logan Jones at center, I think he's going to be a really good center but it's definitely been an adjustment for him so far when it comes to snaps and, you know, the off- the snaps look kind of slow coming out of his hand and there have been a couple bad snaps too throughout the year. Um, but, I mean, with the defense they have, I mean, this defense is special. I I know that that 99-yard drive that Iowa State had on Saturday was a, was a weak spot for them, but I think that was more so Iowa State really, really uh, executing and Iowa's defense just being flat out exhausted because I mean that's what they were. I mean when you when you're on the field as much as Iowa's defense was on Saturday, stuff like that's going to happen. And Iowa State executed that drive to perfection, and you know you can't knock the Iowa defense on that, and especially with how well they played against South Dakota State too. And I know no one's going to point fingers in the room, and no one's going to point fingers in the program, but at some point you got to be like, all right, like. 
the offense is just, hey, we got to try something else. There's got to be something that can make this work. And, I mean, I I don't know what the answer is. I think when the run game and the offensive line improves, that's going to be huge. I think when the wide receivers come back, which, I mean, is hopeful. I mean, I heard that they returned to practice this week, so that was really big for them. Um, and three or two of the receivers in Keegan Johnson, Nico Organi, two starts from last year. So that that's a positive, but it's like, man, like, is something going to happen at quarterback? Is there going to be some sort of change? Is the offensive line going to be better? That's why I think this game against Nevada is a lot more important than it should have been because if you don't have a great showing or at least a promising or improved showing on Saturday against Nevada, you're not feeling overly confident heading into conference play. And I know Rutgers is not going to be at the top of the Big Ten East this year, but they're going to have a packed place there. I think it's like their first home game or first night game in the Big Ten since 2017, I think I read. And that's going to be one where a lot of people are going to get up for it. And if you're Iowa, you know, with the way your offense has looked, like, yeah, it's it's not going to be pretty. And that's why kind of this Nevada game is so big because if I was able to put a big or at least a promising outing, then you feel a lot better about this offense and not just the fans, but those inside the program and those in the offense. I mean, Spencer Peters too. I, I think it's a confidence thing at this point. So that's why this week is so big. We'll see what comes about it. Um, there's obviously a disconnect with with stuff, and this week of practice will be really important as well. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a big week, and it's a lot bigger than a lot of people expected or wanted to be. But that's just the status of where things are at right now. You know, I haven't seen Nevada play football this year, but my understanding is they're terrible. So uh, yeah. let's let, we'll we'll see how this shakes out. Anyway, he is Sean Bach S Bach twenty four seven on Twitter. It's men's basketball, football, and recruiting for 24-7 Sports, Hawkeye Insider there. Go give him a follow on Twitter. This guy does great stuff, especially with recruits for Iowa football and basketball. Sean, we appreciate you, brother. Yep, thank you, Emile. And that'll do it for this Wednesday edition of Cornstalks and Sports Talk. Don't forget, we are doing that every week now. You're getting a double dose of Cornstalks and Sports Talk on your Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Play feed, wherever you listen to this show. Make sure before you go, you're subscribed so you get that notification to come and tune in every Wednesday and Saturday. The show goes live. You can subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It does help us out a lot. So once again, folks, my name is Elliot Clough. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media. You can follow me on Twitter at Elliot Clough. And this was a Wednesday edition of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.